Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit is welcome in this place. And so are other people. They miss the, they miss the, the, uh, the invitation, though. But we know you will be here. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for having Rick Dross come and bring us a message, a message that will enrich our lives, take, that we can take out and make part of our everyday, everyday being. Let our hearts be open and let all that we do praise you, Lord. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna thank Rick for coming today and uh, I'm just gonna guess he got his mask at Target. Uh, <laughs> um, as a reminder, since most of the folks are, are wearing masks at times today, that we are, we are trying to honor the social distancing. Um, if you do happen to meet to, to miss a, a Sunday, or you feel like you'd like to hear it again, um, they're up on the internet, and John uh, John has in the bulletin here where the what the the URL is. So that's geek speak for where to go uh, to hear it. <laughs> Let's worship our Lord. I'm reading out of Billy Graham's Hope for Each Day, and since. Um, Typically, Bonnie is doing this. I will tell you, I heard from her this morning. I called her, and I think two weeks, and she'll be back home. So, um, the transfer is complete. He made him to be sin for us, that we might become righteousness in, of the righteousness of God himself. When we come to Christ, the Bible says he imparts his righteousness to us, once we were sinners in God's eyes, but now he sees us as righteous because of Christ. How could this happen? In ourselves, we aren't righteous. As the Bible says, there is none righteous. No, not one, Romans 3.10. But when we accept Christ, the filthy rags of our sin are replaced for the glorious, by the glorious robe of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Our sins were transferred to him and his righteousness transferred to us. Did we deserve it? No. Did we earn it? No. It is all because of grace, all because of God's undeserved favor towards us in Christ. We can never win God's favor by our deeds, no matter how good we are. Only Christ can save us. Thank God that you now stand before him clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ, our hope for today. How is it that we can boldly approach the throne of grace when we have all fallen short? We can do, uh, we can do so because when God looks upon his, us as a believer, he sees us through the righteousness of God. Can I pray? Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you for this precious day that you've given us. And Lord, while we are um, small in numbers today, we are mighty in your grace. And we are mighty 
in your presence. We praise you and thank you for your Holy Spirit, which dwells here richly today. We ask you, Lord, for this church, for Tucson, for the country, and for the world, that your spirit would flood us. Circle the globe, Lord. Come through Tucson. Move through our church that we may do the will and the precious um, precious things that you would have us to do in this earth to prepare for the coming of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.
Testament scripture today comes from Jeremiah 28, verses 5 through 9. <clears throat> Jeremiah responded to Hananiah as they stood in front of all the priests and the people at the temple. He said, Amen. May your prophets come true, prophecies come true. I hope the Lord does everything you say. I hope he does bring back the Babylon and the treasures of, the, of this temple and all the captives. But listen now to those solemn words I speak to you in the presence of all these people. The ancient prophets who predicted you and me speak against many nations, always warning of war, disaster, and disease. So the prophet who predicts peace must show he is right. Only when he predict predictions come true can we know that he is really from our Lord. And if you'd like to stand as we say the, the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you look in your bulletin, you had a page in there for breathe on me, breathe breath, breath of God. God. 161. You don't even have to turn in your books. How easy we've made it. Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Anyone who receives you receives me, and anyone who receives me receives the Father who sent me. If you receive a prophet as one who speaks for God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. And if you receive righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be given a reward like theirs. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the, very, of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. Take your bulletin. We have a responsive reading. Beckoning God as you moved in the lives of Elijah and Elisha. Move in our lives, inviting us to journey to unknown territory, to listen for your voice and to speak your prophetic word in a world that does not want to hear. Powered by your spirit, grant us the courage we need to journey, trust, listen, speak, and accept your commission to be your faithful servant and people. Amen. But let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have endowed us with many gifts. You have saved us. You have forgiven us of our sins. But we know that there are many who have not come to know you. 
And we know that you call for us to give back, to share the gifts that are really yours. So, Lord, as we share, we pray that what it does, it helps bring others to come to know you, that your word can be known to them, and then your peace and love will also be known. This we ask in your son's name. Amen. Uh, My mask uh, was made from an old Target shirt. Uh, I thought it would be fun. We weren't, we're not allowed to wear these shirts anymore at Target, and so um, I thought it'd be fun for, to make masks out of it. And, uh, and uh, the first time I wore it at work, they, they laughed. So it was a success. <laughs> um, I want to uh, start today by uh, giving you an excellent recommendation. Um, there is a new um, episodic, episodic uh, TV show that's out that is excellent. It's called The Chosen. Have you seen it? If you have not seen it, you must. You must watch this show. Now, it is on, uh, you can get it on their app, their particular app, the chosen.app, I think is what it's called. Um, and so you could watch it on your phone, or you can, uh, we have a, a, a Roku, and on Roku you can search for a channel, you can search for uh, Rediscover Television, and uh, that channel has uh, the show on it, or you can just watch it on YouTube. Um, but it is an, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know what would be easiest for you. Um, but it, it is a fantastic uh, description or portrayal of the life of Jesus as he starts his ministry and as he gathers the chosen, the disciples around him. Uh, it is very, very well done. It is very scriptural. And yet, it is not uh, canned, stilted, that so many... Uh, Christian films are because they just want to use what's in the Bible. This guy, uh, Dallas, I forget his last name, um, has, has, uh, re, has not rewritten, but written it from a personal hum, human standpoint of seeing who this Jesus is and what he's done. And he stays true to Scripture, but he adds things to it to make Jesus just come alive in this uh, episodic TV show. So uh, the first season is out. They are right now in the process of trying to raise money to do the second season and then the third season. They're hoping to have seven seasons. That'll take it from the beginning of Jesus' ministry through his resurrection. So um, uh, I really encourage you to take a look at that. It's, It's a good one. The reason I bring up is because at the very end of the first season, the last episode is about Jesus and his disciples, the seven disciples he has at that point, uh, walking through Samaria and meeting the woman at the well. And the woman at the well, um, Jesus, you know the story, Jesus asks her, give me a drink. And in this TV episode, 
Uh, it's funny as they argue back and forth, as Scripture says, about why would this Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman to give him a drink and, and you know, her history and her story and all of that goes back and forth. All of that's in there. But what I noticed in the episode was she never gave him a drink. <laughs> he never got the water that <laughs> he was asking for. And um, I thought that was kind of interesting and, and funny, but it, it also brings out the whole point of what is the deal with these Jews and Samaritans at the time? Because the passage that I chose to talk about today is the story of the Good Samaritan. So in order to understand this tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, um, I need to help you to understand what was going on uh, at that time between these two peoples. So it starts way back at the time of the end of Solomon's life. Solomon dies and his son Rehoboam becomes the king of, of Israel. And the northern tribes didn't like that. They didn't like him. They didn't want that. They decided to split off. And the kingdom was divided. The northern tribes are what we now call Samaria. And in fact, uh, the, eventually the kings of the northern tribes built a city called Samaria. And that is you know, the capital of the northern tribes. So at that point, that's where things, you know, split. It'd be sort of like if, if the South had won the war in, in the Civil War here. You know, there would be a major split. We'd have, I'm sure we'd have conflicts with the South. Or I guess we might have been in the South here in Arizona, and we would have conflicts still with the North. You know, there would be that tension there. But it doesn't stop there. Because um, many years later, after that split, the Assyrians come in and they conquer the northern tribes. They conquer that northern kingdom of Israel, but they don't conquer Judah. Judah survives the Assyrian attacks. And the Assyrians had this method of integrating conquered lands into their own land of moving people from Assyria down into Israel and having them intermarry. And so um, the Jewish people and the Assyrians became assimilated with each other. And then this also happened when the Babylonians came down. The Babylonians did the same thing. And the uh, the the people of Samaria intermarried with the Babylonians, and we have the same situation. The Jewish people in Judah uh, seem to stay away from that concept of that assimilation. Now, some did, but most said, no, we're not going to be doing that. And so that created um, this tension between these two groups of people, the Jews and the Samaritans. Uh, and then the Persians destroyed the Babylonians. The Persians come in and they set up uh, their own governors over these areas. And of course, the, they saw 
the northern part of Palestine is different than the southern part, and so they have two different governors. The governor that the Persian king sent to Judah eventually was Nehemiah. Nehemiah went there with Ezra, and they tried to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, because remember, the wall was only knee-high, so Nehemiah was sent. Okay. Um, so they rebuild, they're rebuilding the wall, and uh, the governor of Samaria, Sanballat, uh, said, no, I can't have this. And he, he wrote letters to the Persian king. He tried to get do everything he could to keep that wall from being built. And that's in the book of Nehemiah. And so there was that tension there between the Samaritans and the uh, people of Judah. Also, during the time of the the northern tribes' kingdoms, uh, they built their own temple. And so the religious uh, spread was happening as well because there was the temple in Jerusalem and there was a temple in Samaria. And, you know, that caused a struggle between the two. Um, Finally, um, Alexander the Great shows up on the scene and he conquers Palestine And uh, he believes that the world would be totally better off if everyone thought like a Greek, and if everyone spoke Greek, and if everyone read the Greek philosophers, and if everybody was a Greek. And so he went on a rampage of trying to teach uh, the Greek civilization to the people of Israel, and we call that Hellenization. And um, the people in the northern tribes, they said, well, you know, we've done it with the Syrians, we've done it with the Babylonians, we've done it with the Persians, well, why not with the Greeks? And, you know, they readily accepted the Hellenization of the northern tribes, of the northern part of Palestine. Whereas the people in the south said, no, we're not going to do that, we don't want to do that. Now, some governors came in and they forced it on them and that created a whole bunch of problems for the people in the south and so we have the Maccabean revolt. Uh, Judas Maccabeus uh, said I've had enough and he, he rises up an army in Judah and they revolt against uh, the Greek rulers and eventually win their independence. And Jews have their independence for a short time between the Greeks until the Romans come in <laughs> and conquer them. And, but it was during that Maccabean time that, that the people of Judah, the Jews, really put their thoughts and their efforts into this whole idea of to be a good Jew, you must strictly obey the law of Moses. You must follow it to the T. We're not going to be like our neighbors to the north who are playing sports in a Greek way totally naked. I mean, that's just ridiculous. That's not what God would want. We're not going to do that. We are going to um, we're going to follow God's law strictly, just God's law. And that created a strong emphasis on this observance of the law as a means to entrance into the kingdom of God. And so what the Jews of the South came up with was, 
a strict observance of the law. If you strictly observe the law, you're one of us, and we're okay, and we love you, and things are going to be fantastic. Um, if you don't, we don't want anything to do with you. We're not going to talk to you. We're not going to touch you. We're not going to touch the things you touch. You are uh, terrible to us, and we're not going to be a part of it. So even though the people of Samaria were genetically Jewish and believed in the Torah, believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, and still believed in God, the Jews of the South said, no, we're not going to have anything to do with you because you also follow all these Greek ways. And so that was the struggle. That was the, the tension between these people. Samaritans were of Jewish descent, but they were corrupted by the Hellenistic background and non-adherence to the strict observance of the law. And so that was the problem. So what would happen is if a Jew, and then uh, some of the Jews, the Druze outgrew their area in the south, and, and they moved up to Galilee. And they started uh, settling in Galilee, which was north of Samaria. So if any Jew in Galilee wanted to go to Jerusalem, he wouldn't go through Samaria. He would go around Samaria. He would take what should have been a three-day walking trip and make it a six-day walking trip to get to Jerusalem. Okay? Um, that was the situation then. Now, luckily, we, in today's world, we don't have that situation at all. No. Uh, let me tell you a little story. When I was a youth pastor at First Free, um, I led the college group for a while, and um, I did a lesson, a, a whole series on worship. What is worship? How do we worship God? What does it mean to worship God? And then I thought at the end of that series, it would be interesting to go to different churches and see how their worship is different than the worship at First Free, Evangelical Free Church. And so... Um, I took them to a number of different churches to uh, visit how worship was done. One of those churches I took them to was across uh, Swan Road from our church, and it was a Catholic church. And we went to that service, and uh, afterwards I got, uh, an irritated got into an irritated conversation with one of the parents of, those, of one of those college students who was upset that I would take her son to a Catholic church. You know that they don't follow scripture. You know that they, you know, and she had all kinds of reasons why that was a very bad idea. Now, I can honestly say that none of those students that I took to that Catholic church are now Catholic, okay? <laughs> I did not ruin their faith <laughs> by doing this. And they got uh, education into how other people worship God, uh, our God. And I, I still stand by that decision, but we still have this issue today of some of us have a hard time seeing how God could be pleased 
with this other person who is also worshiping God. And that's the situation that we have when we come to this story of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritans were hated. A proper Jew would not walk from Galilee to Jerusalem through Samaria. And so let's read in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke 10, 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You can see there's that strict observance of the law thought. Okay? Jesus responded, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, so there's a number of different things that I want to point out in this parable. Number one is just a geographical kind of concept, and that is Jerusalem down to Jericho. That's where the story is taking place. That goes through a wadi or a dry wash called Kelt. Wadi Kelt is the name of it. And it goes from Jerusalem, which is 2,500 feet above sea level, down to Jericho, which is near the Jordan River, which is 770 feet below sea level. Okay? And that happens within 15 miles. So it's a fast drop. Okay? And so you can understand this road from Jerusalem to Jericho is, is hugging the uh, cliffs of this dry wash, Wadi Kelt, and it's doing a bunch of switchbacks to get down to Jericho. Well, obviously, uh, that creates a lot of hiding places for a robber, a bandit, to attack travelers and to, and to do their deeds. So therefore, most people 
who would travel from Jerusalem to Jericho or Jericho up to Jerusalem would travel in groups. Their safety in numbers. So, unfortunately, in this story, this man is traveling this road and uh, he's alone and he gets attacked and he's uh, waylaid, he's laying on the side of the road and, uh, and is uh, dying. Now, I want you also to notice that the priest and the Levite um, are part of the religious order. Obviously, the priest. The priest was probably in Jerusalem to, offer, to oversee the sacrifices that people were bringing into the temple on a regular basis. The Levite, uh, if you remember, the, the tribe of Levi was responsible to help the priests. The priests were from Aaron's family. The Levites were all the other Levites. Aaron was a Levite as well. But the priests are, are Levites. But a Levite means somebody who's not a priest. He's not part of the priestly family. But he's there to help the priests. So they're the ones carrying buckets of water and, and making sure things are running well in, in the temple and that kind of stuff. So... The priest and the Levite are traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Um, that means that they are part of that strict observance of the law group. They believed in following the law of God completely, unlike those Samaritans. Um, but I also want you to notice that the teacher of the law, the person asking Jesus, the question that sets up this parable, is also part of that group. So as Jesus is telling this parable, you can imagine the teacher of the law is putting himself in that priest or that Levite's position. Now, a teacher of the law at that time did not have to be from the tribe of Levi. He could be from any tribe. He just was a scholar who knew the law and was fully, strongly believing that you had to follow it completely. Okay? So that's who this teacher of the law is. He's, he identifies with the priest and the Levite. And they walk by on the other side. Probably the law, you know, when Jesus asks, what, what do you see as, what do you need to do to have eternal life? The Levite, or the teacher of the law, gives his answer, and he says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And he gets that from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Okay? But he gets the second part, and love your neighbor as yourself, from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Okay? So the teacher of the law rightly understood the law, and he rightly understood that the best way to get eternal life is to obey these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Strict observance 
of the law would require him to love. That's his answer. And then Jesus tells this parable. Now, also, I want you to understand that in this parable, strict observance for the priest and the Levite might mean you don't touch a dead body. If that, if that person on the road is dead, you shouldn't be touching them, especially if you are about to serve in the temple. But remember, they are going down from Jerusalem. So that probably means they have ended their work at the temple. And if they had taken a closer look, they would have realized this man is not dead. He's severely wounded, but he's not dead. He's still alive, and love would indicate you help him. But they walked by on the other side. So I want you to see also in this parable that when, or in the setup to the parable, when, when the teacher gives his answer as what, is, what do you have to do, Jesus agrees with him. Jesus says, you're right. Do this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do that and you will get eternal life. Jesus agrees. He doesn't use this point in his teaching to contradict the teacher of the law, to point out where he might be a little off. He lets it go. He says, yes, I agree. Obey, you know, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you do that perfectly, you're perfect. You got it. You're in. Okay? The Samaritan, uh, in contrast to the priest and Levite, is not viewed as a strict observer of the law, and yet he stopped and tended to the man's wounds. Wasn't that nice of him? That was nice. Then he could have gone on his way, but no, he didn't. He tended to his wounds, and then he helped him onto his donkey, and he got him to safety. Remember, the, the bandits are still out there. <laughs> he got the man up on his donkey and said, let's get out of here. This is a bad place. He tended to his wounds, and he cared for the man's safety. But he didn't stop there. He took him to an inn, and he took care of him for a whole day. For a whole day. He could have gone on on his whatever he was, his business that he was on, but no, for a whole day he stayed and took care of this man in the end. He could have stopped there, but no, he goes on. He gives the innkeeper money, and according to my notes in my study Bible, it's enough money to last five days. Now, whether that's true or not, I mean, we really have to know the the monetary system back then, but it's possible that he gave him enough money to last for five days in the inn for the innkeeper to take care of him. That's amazing. That's, that's above and beyond. But he doesn't stop there. He tells the innkeeper, and when I come through again, keep a record, if, if he overspends this, let me know, I'll pay, I'll pay his bill. My goodness! Compared to the priest and the Levite who 
didn't even check to see if the guy was alive and walked around. This Samaritan goes above and beyond. And then Jesus, at the end of the parable, he changes the question. Remember, the question was, who is my neighbor? Jesus changes the question to, to whom am I a neighbor? That's a major change. That's a complete change of the understanding of the situation. It's not who is my neighbor, it's to whom am I a neighbor. I also want you to recognize something else. This, I, when I, I caught this this week and I go, whoa, whoa, I never saw that before. The teacher of the law doesn't answer Jesus' question. When Jesus says, to which of these three men proved to be a neighbor to the man who was wounded? The teacher of the law could have said, the Samaritan. He doesn't. What does he say? The one who showed mercy. In other words, the teacher of the law is so hung up on this division between the Jews and the Samaritans that he doesn't even want to say the word Samaritan. He doesn't want to take the easy way and say, oh, the Samaritan. No, he says, the one who showed mercy. Jesus tells the teacher of the law then to be like the Samaritan. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> you can't tell a Jew to be like a Samaritan. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, my. I, you know, I wish that one of the writers of the gospel... Luke is the only one who has this story, by the way. I wish Luke would have gone on to say what that teacher did after that. <laughs> did he fall down crying? <laughs> did he uh, turn away in anger? Did he change his life? I don't know. I wish I knew. That would be so interesting to know. So... Let's look at this story and put ourselves into it. What do we learn from this? I think, first of all, we can learn that sometimes we are like the teacher of the law when we act in self-righteous ways. Um, I remember when I was younger. I, I, grew up in a, I grew up in a very strong Christian home. My parents... Both were super involved in the church. They helped plant at least two churches. Um, they were uh, always at church. I mean, we were at church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, um, sun, uh, Saturday morning to do cleanup and, and get the church ready. I mean, we were always at church. Um, my mom... Uh, taught with Child Evangelism Fellowship and did a Good News Club. She had, at one time, she had seven clubs that she ran, that she taught. Every week, there were seven clubs that she did. Uh, and some of those were in my home, and when they were in my home, I was expected to be there. I was there listening to the Bible stories. 
just to say, I grew up in a very religious Christian home. I was a Jew. But I had some Samaritans in my family. My two older sisters both walked away from the church. Didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And as a teenager, I looked at them with contempt. I'm sorry to say. I was this teacher of the law. I thought, they don't know what they're doing. They're, they, they've got it wrong. And yeah, they, they had it wrong. That didn't mean I had to con- condemn them. Didn't mean I had to stop loving them and caring about them. But I did. Because I was self-righteous. And I thought, that's, they, they don't deserve to have my love. And I'm ashamed of that now. I think sometimes we become like this teacher of the law. In our self-righteousness, we can look down on others who are struggling in this life. And because of their struggle and the, and the, and the routes that they have taken to deal with the same struggles that we have, we say, eh, you're not worth caring about. And that's a shame. Our perspective on how we are to love God and love others can be sincerely wrong. The teacher of the law was quoting from Old Testament Scripture. He he understood Scripture. He believed it, and he was a strict observer of the law. And yet he was sincerely wrong. And I think one one possible reason why he asked the question, who is my neighbor, is because in that Leviticus 19.18 passage, it says, do not bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And I imagine in his mind, he's thinking, my people, those are the ones I'm to love. My people, the Jews, not the Samaritans. They're not my people. Even though they had a Jewish heritage. (laughs) Even though they worshipped God as well. They're not my people. So who is my neighbor? Who are the ones that I'm supposed to love? Jesus turns it around and says, who are you a neighbor to? Who are you going to love? Be like the person who loves others. We can get tunnel vision also in our lives when talking about loving our neighbor. Um, I got another story from my past that I'm not too happy about. Uh, The Curtises know, but maybe the rest of you don't know, Brenda and I, uh, we have adopted our children. Our children are, all three of them are adopted. The oldest one, Joshua, is American Indian Caucasian. A mix. Um, our second child, Caleb, is African American. Our third child, Hadassah, is Hispanic Caucasian mix. Um, we, you know, we adopted Joshua, the oldest, because uh, 
he was available. It just, it just happened to be that he was American Indian. Caleb, on the other hand, was a special adoption in that his birth mother, um, when she found out that she was pregnant, she, she, was, she was planning on joining the army. And when she found out she was pregnant, it was at her army physical. <laughs> and so that just threw her whole life up in, in, in the air. She didn't know what to do. She had no family to go to. She had, she, her plan was to get into the army. And now that was put on hold. And so she went to crisis pregnancy centers. And crisis pregnancy centers said, well, we'll set you up with a family that'll take care of you until the birth of your child. And that family was my mom and dad. And so Carol, Caleb's birth mother, lived with my mom and dad for nine months, eight months, I'm not exactly sure how long, but until, until Caleb was born. And when Caleb was born, uh, we had visited a number of times. She had met us and our young son, Joshua, at the time. And uh, she saw the value of adoption. And she said, well, I'm going to place my child for adoption. So she went, unbeknownst to us, she went to family, Christian Family Care Agency, where we adopted our kids through. And um, uh, she placed her baby for adoption. And uh, she was given three different potential homes. And uh, that all the names were redacted. She didn't have their names, but she just knew what these homes were like, and immediately she recognized ours, and she chose us. And when Christian Family Care found out that she had chosen us, they, they were so excited, and they called us, and they said, hey, we have a, a child. Are, are you open to adopt a, a black child now? Uh, since you have an American Indian child, perhaps you would love to have a black child. We said, sure, we'll take a black child. That'd be awesome. And, uh, and then we said, but we're pretty sure we know which child you're talking about. And at that point in time, open adoptions had not been done by Christian Family Care Agency. All the adoptions had been closed. And so they had to go back and rethink whether or not they were willing to jump into the open adoption concept. Uh, where the birth parents and the uh, adoptive parents know each other. Uh, and they said, yeah, let's do that. So all that to say, we got this beautiful gift from G Carol named Caleb. We named him Caleb. She named him something else. But <laughs> she named him, she named him uh, Alejandro Giovanni because she was from Panama, so she had this Hispanic concept in, uh, anyhow, Alejandro Giovanni, we renamed him Caleb Alexander. And um, a beautiful child, love him to death, he's great. Uh, but he's got some issues, uh, just like his mom had some issues and her, her um, brother had some issues, some psychological issues. Caleb has, is diagnosed as bipolar. And so he struggles sometimes with stuff. And you can imagine right now, at this point in time, he's struggling. Uh, he lives in Portland, and he's struggling with the whole uh, Black Lives Matter, the whole uh, the way black people are treated by the police, 
that whole thing is, is painful for him. Well, the, the issue that I want to bring up is the, the tunnel vision that I had. I mean, we raised Caleb as ours. He went to our church where there were no black people. Um, were there two? I don't... couple? I don't remember. Anyhow, I, he was one of few. <laughs> and um, it was, you know, we, we didn't think much of it. it. He was our kid. We didn't think of him as black. And he was not raised. I never taught him that when he got older as a black man, there may be some people who look sideways at him. There may be some people who don't like who, the way he looks, just naturally. Um, so he, he had moved to Portland, this was a number of years ago, and he was living in his van that he had bought. And he was so proud of his van. Uh, he had called me, uh, and we were FaceTiming, so I'm, I'm watching him as he's walking towards his van. He got, just got off work, he was walking towards his van, and he wanted to show me his van. So he's showing me all the different parts of his van, where, you know, where he slept and all that kind of stuff. And then he showed me his Black Lives Matter uh, poster on his van. And I said to him, well, all lives matter. And he hung up on me. Now, it is true that all lives do matter. But at this time in history, it's important for us to recognize that the black people are going through a hard time. And to minimize or shut down their concept of how blacks are being mistreated is tunnel vision. It's wrong. And I had to apologize to Caleb. He's hurting, and I told him, well, black lives are just like everybody else. They're not. They are not like everybody else. They should be. They should be. But they're not. They're the Samaritans. We need to love them. We've got to work against our tunnel vision. We want to follow God's law. We want to do what's right. But sometimes we make mistakes. And we need to ask God for forgiveness for that. And our fellow human beings who are just like us except for the color of their skin. I realize that the, the, the group, the, the organization Black Lives Matter has some major problems with them that I don't agree with. Okay, But the phrase has validity. Black lives do matter. White lives do matter. Hispanic lives matter. 
All lives matter, yes, but at this point in our history, that phrase has validity. Um, I'm going to give you another recommendation. Phil Vischer, who is the uh, creator of VeggieTales, uh, did a uh, wonderful video called Race in America, and I invite you to look that up on YouTube. And he explains what's going on with race in America. Uh, it, it'll give you some insight as to what is happening today. It seems, doesn't it seem like we're getting hit from all areas? I mean, COVID-19, um, the riots and the, and the protests and the, and the police brutality, the fires, the, <laughs> I mean, everything just is hitting all at once. And we can get uh, so focused in on what we want to see that we forget to see how other people see it. And we need to open our vision, not have that tunnel vision. We must remember that there is no one other than God who is righteous on their own merit. We have all sinned and fall short of God's standards. No one is a strict observer of the law. Even this expert in the law wasn't strictly observing the law that he said he wanted to observe. None of us can. We need Jesus Christ. The love that Jesus puts up for us as an example in this story is what I would like to call absurdly Absurdly generous love. It's absurd, uh, absurd that this Samaritan would go to all those links to help this man. And Jesus tells us to be absurdly generous neighbors. Perhaps the place to start being loving to our neighbors is by recognizing them. They are Samaritans. They are the homeless. They are African Americans. They are aliens. They are single mothers, orphans. They are our neighbors. And we need to be absurdly generous with our love to them. Jesus said in John 13, 35, that everyone would know we are disciples by the love that we have for one another. But our love must go beyond the love we have for one another and must go to our neighbors as well, especially those in need. We are called to be absurd. That's a bad word. I can't even say it. Tremendously generous with our love. If the world saw that kind of love from us, for everybody, God could change this world. We should be strict observers of the law of love. Let's pray. Lord, help me. Help me to love my neighbors like this Samaritan did. Forgive me for my sin of looking at life through a tunnel 
of not seeing the need that others have. Help us all to love in the way that you love. Help us, Lord, to be so generous with our love that the world changes because of it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Two ninety nine in your bulletin. He lives. <clears throat> I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living. Whatever men may say, I see His hand of mercy. Hear His voice of these same words from this song and replace lives with loves because he loves. <clears throat> he has taught us to love. He has taught us how we should love each other, how we should treat each other. And he calls on us to not be the Samaritan or to be the Samaritan who sees others, others in need and help them, Lord. So Lord, as we go out today, let us feel, take this into our hearts and let us
be ones that will reach out and, and not be so righteous ourselves that we cannot see who else needs help. This we ask in your son's name. Amen.